Welcome to episode 46 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Cole Bear, sports correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoop season by Nick Pateros of the WCF Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick at Courier. I'm on Twitter at Real Cole Bear. Feel free to always send any questions or comments you might have uh, as it relates to you and I men's basketball, this podcast, uh, to our Twitter accounts. Uh, you can listen to the podcast at thegazette.com, at wcfcourier.com. It's on SoundCloud, and it's on your podcast app on your Apple device as well. If that's where you listen to the podcast, Nick and myself would ask that you rate, subscribe, and review. Okay, let's get right into it, Nick. Uh, you made the road trip, as I understand it, a little bit of a treacherous one, given some lake effect snow that took place in Valparaiso, Indiana, uh, earlier this week, a, a Wednesday night win for you and I, 63-51 over the Crusaders, who now sit at 12-12 and overall, 5-6 and in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, in the first go-around, because you and I has already played Valpo twice now, Nick, uh, it was a back-and-forth game. You and I had to come back from a halftime deficit. They were loose and sloppy with the ball. This game really was a lot different. 63-51, as I said, the final that last game was like, I think, 88-78, something like that. Um, what did you see being there at Arc Arena besides the fact that it is one of the Missouri Valley's worst venues? Yeah, I think I'm still seeing yellow from uh, from the trip to the Arc, the Athletics Recreation Center in, in Valpo. It's uh, it's basically a high school gym uh, that was about at 30 percent there. There, there the, the weather was absolutely terrible. I wouldn't have driven to that game either, uh, but. I, I had to work, so I took an Uber. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the big thing that stood out was in the first game, Valpo hit a lot of three-pointers. This game, Valpo couldn't buy a bucket from three-point range. Uh, UNI's defense, I think, is always at its best when they can pack it in and say, all right, we dare you to shoot that three. You're, you're not going to make it. And, and Valpo was three of 23 from three-point range. And I, I think that was the story of the game. That, that you, can't, you can't shoot like that against Northern Iowa and expect to win. And then uh, Valpo's best player, Javon Freeman-Liberty, he didn't try a shot like for the first seven minutes of that game which was odd the but, start uh, itself was crazy yeah like, I mean, crazy they, they only had nine points i think about 17 minutes into that game so it, yeah they, they they just couldn't buy a basket freeman liberty actually kind of had a, a minor knee injury in a game earlier a couple games ago and and he just didn't look as explosive but he was four of 12 from the field and, and that's a guy that entered uh as the second leading scorer through league play uh to, to aj green and so that matchup, uh, you know, wasn't quite as good as the, the first time around where Green scored 29 and, and Freeman Liberty had 28. Uh, this one, it, it was just kind of one of those where UNI's defense did enough, and then they, they didn't shoot it very well on offense. They're under 40% uh, for the first time since the, the home win over Bradley where they shot 35, but but both of those games were wins. So I, I think that says a little bit about UNI's defense and their, their ability to, to find ways to win when shots aren't falling. Yeah, and... A team now with 20 wins, 20-3 and three overall, you and I in the Missouri Valley Conference. It makes a lot of sense that we continue to talk on the podcast, Nick, about this team finding different ways to win. Um, a little bit of a tough night for Trey Burhau. I was at only uh, six points for Trey Burhau in that game against Valparaiso on Wednesday night. And uh, he does so on one of seven shooting, only one of four from the three-point line. He did grab 11 rebounds, you know, so he brought that toughness on the glass. But um, A.J. Green and Austin Fife, and Fife really has been in a groove lately. I wrote about him uh, for my preview for the Valparaiso game, and he gets another double-double, 10 points, 13 rebounds. He's 5 of 10 from the field. I think he made his first three shots which in that game, which made it like 17 in a row. 
Yeah, um, first four shots. He hadn't missed uh, a shot for, th- for you know the previous two games going into that. So he really seems comfortable in that point center spot of the offense. And Ben Jacobson said as much when I talked with him uh, not too long ago after that Valpo game that uh, he was just really proud of the team for. Um, understanding what happened in the first time that these two teams played and how loose they got with the ball and how Valpo was able to get their hands in passing lanes and understanding that they were going to have to be more selective against a team like Valpo and and what passes they could or could not make. So it it continues to kind of display, Nick, the maturation of this offense that Seth Tuttle brought to UNI that's now well into year two. Yeah, and I think the, the the big thing about the Valpo game is out of you and I starting five, everyone did a little bit of something. You, you mentioned Trey struggling, but he still got the 11 rebounds, and then he had four assists with one turnover. Uh, there was a key possession there in the second half after Valpo cut it down to 10 on a Fizikas three over A.J. Green where, where Fife got doubled, kicks it out to Burhau, and then they swing it over to Green for an open three-pointer. Uh, and that, that kind of got you and I jump-started again. Uh, it was one of those games where Green, he was getting trapped frequently so he had to give up the ball they moved him off point and uh put some other guys in there and uh, had to switch things around but you know Fife like you said was just incredible down low Isaiah Brown I thought hit some key shots at key times he was 50 percent shooting that game and then uh, Spencer Haldeman the three-pointer he hit going into halftime after Valpo had a a 10-2 run at him I thought that helped uh, set the tone there going into the second half as well yeah that was a really good play because if I'm not mistaken you and I called a timeout before that they they obviously drew something up and uh, it, it's kind of another classic example of you can just tell that you and I draws up their plays whether it be a side out of bounds or something at the end of a, um, a half and it's okay if AJ Green gets guarded this way this is where we go if he gets guarded this way this is where we go and the double came to AJ he swings the ball to Spencer he takes two dribbles and makes uh, it was a pretty difficult three that he made there at the end of the half but yeah I, I agree that was a that was a big three to be made there uh, to kind of you know get a counter against that Valpo run at the time. You uh, and I gets twelve bench points out of Antoine Kimmins and Noah Carter in that win over Valpo. Nick uh, Antoine Kimmins with seven points, Noah Carter with five, and this is a good spot for us to move into our next topic: uh, the offensive versatility uh, that you and I has displayed, especially more so as of late. Uh, Noah Carter has played the five some. That's not something that we saw through, what, the first 15, 16 games of the season. Um, UNI is getting contributions from their at least two of their freshmen right now, Antoine Kimmins and Noah Carter. I know you wrote about it recently at WCFCourier.com, but really just to kind of get back to what we want to talk about here is the offensive versatility that UNI is showing and how it may not be something that just makes the offense that much more dynamic it just gives them more looks that makes life that much more difficult on their opponents yeah uh, it really started with the Evansville game uh, Noah Carter came in at the five uh, to counter a five guard lineup and it was kind of funny because he comes in there and he was like you know you, know, you could tell he's kind of looking around looking looking where to go and I think Trey Burhow directed him or, or Isaiah Brown uh, a couple of those guys were like hey let's go over here you got to set the screen because he hadn't uh, I was talking after the game he hadn't uh, received any real practice reps at that five since the beginning of the season so uh, he kind of got thrown into the fire there figured things out and uh, when you have uh, Noah 
Carter in at that five, now you've got five guys on the court that can knock down three-pointers, which really brings a, a new dimension to that offense. And then uh, Kemmons also had had great run in that Evansville game, uh, took over a stretch where he was able to get to the basket. And, and we've seen that now where if Ben Jacobson doesn't like how things are going with the offense, like in the Valpo game, it got a little stagnant. Uh, Valpo was sw switching screens, and they needed somebody to just kind of take the ball and go. And that's uh, definitely Antoine Kemmons. He can give you that type of spark. Um, and, and just getting back to the, the original question, uh, you and I, uh, within their offense, the, the, the five spots, I think they're, they, they've become really comfortable switching that around. So you might have A.J. Green at the one, and then he can move to the two or the three. You've got uh, Isaiah Brown who can come up and play the point. I think Taiwan Pickford even played uh, the point for yeah. a possession during Val, the Valpo game. Yep. So he, they're really comfortable interchanging things around based on how they're being defended and uh, finding new ways for these guys to produce and I think that's one of the things uh, Jake mentioned to his team after the game that he was really pleased with is the way they've been able to interchange guys at different spots within that offense and and find some success. Noah Carter playing the five and doing so starting to do so at this point in the season reminds me of the 2015-16 season that team led by Wes Washburn, Matt Bohannon, Paul Jesperson where they really found something Ben Jacobson and his, and his staff really found something late in that season with Clint Carlson playing the five, and he had mostly played the four, kind of like Noah Carter to that point, and what it was able to do in terms of how it made life difficult on opponent fives to bring big guys at the time out to the perimeter. There were a lot more traditional five men in the league in that particular season, and Clint Carlson's ability uh, to hit the three, not as great as Noah Carter's, uh, but he also had a really good ability to just play from the perimeter in general like Noah Carter does. So I I'm eager to see how this plays out the rest of the way. If Noah Carter, I mean, it's early. The sample size is small, but do you think, Nick, that maybe Noah Carter gets most of his playing time the rest of the way at the five, or do you think it's more of a split between the four and the five? How do you see it playing out? I see it more being matchup-driven. Uh, he, he's going to go to the five when there's a five-guard lineup on the court. Uh, if there's a, another big in there, then, then he's in the traditional 3-4 uh, wing role. But uh, I, I don't think they're going to play a 6-6 guy up against a, a big man that's like 6'10", 7-foot in there. You don't see him playing the five <laughs> against Liam Robbins on no, Saturday? No, no he's, he's not going to let Liam Robbins uh, post up Noah Carter uh, in, in that game against Drake on Saturday. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Panthers' pace of play. Uh, Nick, you, you've got some interesting notes here, and uh, I've got some thoughts on this as well. Oh yeah, you know Ken Ken Palm is, is it's an interesting website if you haven't checked it out. They have the the adjusted defense and offensive efficiencies, and then they also have adjusted tempo. So they they uh, have some kind of computer formula that uh, factors in the, the the competition that you're playing and and how how your your team's doing. Uh, within that, that metric. And uh, you and I, in, in pace of play, as traditionally under Ben Jacobson, been a 300-plus, uh, you know, th their ranking. Yep. So you've got, what, 350 and change. 351, uh, I think. Th yeah, yeah, over 350 uh, Division One teams. You and I has always been over 300 in, in pace of play. So one of the slowest pace of plays in the, in the nation. And this year, through the majority of the season, you and I had been up above 300. Well, I, I checked out the adjusted tempo here recently, and they're down to 267. And I think over these last maybe five to seven games, it seems like you and I has really picked up the tempo. Uh, they're looking to They've always looked to try to get th what they can in transition, but it seems like now they're also uh, looking to get some more quick actions and, and taking shots earlier within the, the shot clock possession. Yeah, we've heard Ben Jacobson talk many times about getting the ball off the defensive glass and throwing the ball ahead, but we don't see it 
a whole lot. So it's obviously something that uh, the players have free reign to do. Um, and then also, too, Ben Jacobson talks a lot about the ball getting moved from side to side quickly. That doesn't always mean pace, but I think the fact that this offense is in year two, they're much more familiar with uh, the looks they're getting within it and how opponents react to it. That potentially leads to more early shot clock shots that they're comfortable with uh, as more and more repetitions pile up within the offense. And then, too, it does seem like certainly A.J. Green, uh, Trey Burhouse seems to have it in him some, Isaiah Brown in that um, full-court offense kind of opportunistic mind frame. It seems like of, of anybody uh, that plays regularly that those three uh, will get a rebound, and not only will they look for a ball handler near them, but they will give a glance well up the floor to see if there's a 30- or 40-foot pass to be thrown. Uh, A.J. Green has has thrown kind of some of those touchdown passes. Uh-huh. Uh, not a lot of them, but uh, that's that's something. You never saw those touchdown passes uh, when Ben Jacobson's offenses were in the 300s in pace. I mean, they happen like three times a season, and they're maybe almost happening about once every other game or close to every game now, and Antoine Kimmins can't hurt either. I mean, yeah, once he, he gets in the game, he, he's getting and going. Uh, I mean, that's instant That's instant pace of play right there. You, 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 you're probably uh, – you're probably top 100 in pace of play when, when Kemmons is on the court. Yeah, one of his, uh, I don't know, if I forget if he made the shot or not, but he got north to south from rim to rim quicker than anybody I can remember in some time. He maybe took five dribbles, which is impressive for a guy who's like 5'11", um, but he got the rebound himself, just put his head down, and just dribbled faster than anybody was going to run with him in that Valpo game on Wednesday night. And that is, um, we've talked about Kimmins in the previous few podcasts. He's obviously going to be in a, such an important part going forward because he's really proved himself as a spark plug, settled into that role. Um, but he's also done a okay job, especially as a true freshman, of not getting ahead of himself too often. It feels like maybe once a game he kind of gets going a little too fast, but that's not so bad, you know, if a freshman's only going to turn it over once playing the way that he plays. Yeah, if you want to make mistakes, you'd rather have somebody making aggressive mistakes than tentative mistakes, and uh, that's definitely Antoine's style. I remember talking to his high school coach uh, after he signed with you and I, and uh, he was talking about how he has a little bit of that Russell Westbrook in him where he just wants to take on everyone, and he's fearless, and uh, he, he's going to attack you off the dribble. All right, let's move in to a preview of UNI's game coming up on Saturday. It's a 3 p.m. tip at McLeod Center, Missouri Valley Conference Television. Does that mean like ESPN Plus or like what outlets? When I it's... think that's uh, the the Comcast, Fox Sports Midwest. Okay, uh, so like yeah. your RSNs are going to be carrying uh, this game on Saturday because if you don't have a ticket by now, at last check before taping this podcast, Nick, there was 15 tickets left. Um, for this game. And so that's obviously going to be a factor because uh, in my most recent conversation with Ben Jacobson, he acknowledged it when I kind of suggested it that the McLeod Center is a tough place to play when you get about 4,500 people in there. Pretty gosh darn tough place to play. You get 6,500 plus in there, it's a, it's a whole nother beast. Um, I'm also curious too, Nick, um, in saying this, I don't want people to think that, okay, well, you and I is going to win the game because they got a sellout crowd. I'm really anxious to see how you and I reacts to it. And Ben Jacobson told me that uh, they talked about it after the Valpo win, that they're going home to what's likely to be a sellout crowd. And he said he could kind of see the eagerness in his in his team's eyes when he told him that. Um, but this group of players, 
they have not played in a sold-out McLeod Center before. I'm not saying they're not capable. Um, it's just when the environments get that turned up, things can get a little weird. Yeah, it's going to be a fun atmosphere. Uh, last year at Drake in the Knapp Center, they brought back one of their their, their old school uh, Final Four team, and yeah. that was a sellout, and they had the old powder blue jerseys. It was a great game, great it, environment. Yeah, so I, I expect that to be more of the same here for the McLeod Center. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy. We're at game 11, and now finally seeing uh, Drake for the first time. Uh, finally, that that hotline bling uh, can only mean uh, one thing. Drake's uh, Drake's rolling around here and coming into to Cedar Falls. I, I don't know if we're going to see Aubrey Graham making a trip uh, to Cedar Falls because he, he was actually at one point on Drake's campus. Okay. Uh, I, I remember hearing a couple years ago. So uh, while there will be no Drake the performer, Drake the men's basketball team at McLeod Center, and they're led by their sophomore five-man, Leon Robbins. His name's already come up on the podcast. Um, just about 14 points per game for him, six and a half rebounds. He's shooting 51% from the field. He, he'll he shoot the three not too often. It kind of like a Luke McDonald, you know, if it's wide open and maybe he's coming off a make, he'll shoot it nine of 30 from the year, uh, nine of 30 for the year uh, at the three-point line. So he's obviously a, a, a very talented up-and-coming big in the Missouri Valley. Saw him a little bit last year when we were in Des Moines watching that game uh, that you just mentioned, Nick. Uh, how do you think you and I goes about their business against Liam Robbins? I don't get, uh, I don't get the inclination that that they will double him. Maybe they will just a little bit. Um, Drake isn't the most knockdown three-point team, but they've got a very talented backcourt. Yeah, I think they might throw some doubles at him. And Liam Robbins against Bradley is basically Luca Garza. Here's a stat line from their most recent game against Bradley. He was 9 of 12 from the field, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, made his only three-point attempt, three block shots, 29 points. I mean, if if you have a big guy that can shoot 10 of 11 from the free throw line, that's a huge luxury. Uh, So they're going to have to definitely keep him off the line. uh, And I think they're going to have to throw some different things at him. They can't allow him to get into a rhythm. Austin Fife uh, did a great job against Cameron Crutwig, one of the better centers in the MVC earlier this year. But Robbins, you're you're talking about a big seven-footer, and I think he's definitely the most improved player in the Missouri Valley Conference here this season. And Robbins plays with his back to the basket more than Crutwig does. It sure seemed like Crutwig was a lot more face up this season yeah he's more of a point center type man. yeah 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 and robbins is more, more of your traditional, traditional yep. you know eight feet and within but he uh, can he can still step out and, and hit a shot and feel comfortable with yeah him. exactly so and then there's also uh with drake this year you know you think back to last year's team and you think about brady ellingson and nick mcglynn both those guys gone graduated so liam robbins the sophomore center we just talked about uh, a big part of this team and then Roman Penn, who was a sit-out transfer for the Bulldogs last season from Siena, he's at about 30 minutes per game, uh, 11.5 points. He's doing a solid job uh, running the point guard position for these Drake Bulldogs, and I think evidenced by the fact, Nick, that he's got 142 turnovers, or excuse me, 142 assists to only 53 turnovers. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, you, you stole you stole that right out of my mouth, Cole. I was going to bring that up. Uh, that that assist to turnover ratio is really impressive and then he's you know, he's averaging about a steal and a half a game, 11.6 points. I got to I got to pick out other stats now that that you stole <laughs> stole my assist to turnover ratio, but uh, I know Darren DeVries before the season uh, started he was uh, gushing about uh, praise for Roman Penn the the transfer from Siena and what he was going to be able to bring to this team from the point guard position, uh, and, 
and Penn is also shooting above 40% from three-point range. I'm, I'm just going to give you his entire other stat line. Go ahead. Uh, but, no, uh, <laughs> I, I think he, he's he's definitely somebody that that can make, make that, that offense work. Uh, you know, if Darren DeVries coming from Creighton, they like to push the pace a little bit. Uh, and uh, I think that they're going to bring an exciting style of offense to the McLeod Center. And, and we, we've seen what you and I has done here this season with one of the most efficient offenses in the nation. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if this game opens up and becomes more of a high-scoring game. Uh, going back to the defensive side of this matchup, we talked about Fife and Robbins in that matchup. Uh, I don't anticipate that Roman Penn, Drake's point guard, will be assigned to guard A.J. Green. I get more of a feeling that uh, D.J. Wilkins, uh, who's a talented two-guard that actually played a lot of point for Drake last year, he can handle the ball. Or Anthony Murphy, the 6'5", the shorter Murphy twin. And he's played a lot more because many people are aware of the uh, off-season incident that Tramel Murphy had, um, and then some injuries for Tramel Murphy as well. He hasn't played near as much this year for Drake, but uh, I get the feeling, Nick, that DJ Wilkins or Anthony Murphy will guard AJ Green, and Wilkins is six four, uh, really athletic, and um, Tramel Murphy, um, he's six five and very athletic, or Anthony Murphy, I should say, is six uh, five and very athletic. So another long, uh, athletic, rather quick defender. Um, is going to be matched up against A.J. Green. At least that's what I think. Yeah, and I think that length in their, their backcourt is going to be really good for them defensively to match up with you and I shooters. Uh, I could see them continuing the, the trend of throwing some traps at Green and getting the ball out of his hands. You don't. I don't think uh, too many teams in the Missouri Valley Conference are, are too keen on the idea of uh, trying to play man defense against A.J. Green at this point in the season. Yeah, there was enough evidence in the non-conference, later in the non-conference portion of the season when A.J. kind of turned, you know, flipped that switch after Cancun where just playing your regular base man defense, I mean, he'll, he'll just rip it apart. He'll score 30 points um, and make it look pretty easy. Uh, any final thoughts, Nick, before we wrap up episode 46 of the On You and I podcast? No, I think, uh, you know, beyond the straight game, uh, it's going to be a big weekend for you and I basketball in the McLeod Center. Uh, the, the Panther women tonight host Missouri State. That's a team that's been a top 25 team. And then uh, Southern Illinois on Sunday. So, uh, you know, if you don't get a ticket to that Drake game, uh, make sure to check out the, the, the UNI women's basketball team as well. This has been one of the, the best conferences in, in league history uh, on the yeah. women's side for the Missouri Valley. And, and they've got two great teams coming into the McLeod Center here this weekend. I, I think I should mention before we wrap up that uh, not only will fans get treated to a, what's probably going to be a really great game and a gr obviously a great environment on Saturday between you and I and Drake, uh, but it's the Sweet 16 team anniversary, 10-year yep. anniversary. Uh, so a lot of Panther fans are going to have an opportunity, I'm, I'm assuming, to see Adam Cook and Lucas O'Rear um, and go on down the list. Johnny Moran from that Sweet 16 team, Jordan Eagle Cedar, uh, you know, halftime ceremony, the whole ball of wax. So just another added element to everything that'll go on uh, in Saturday's game. That that should be um, Nick. This is probably your first time covering a UNI men's basketball game in front of a sold out McLeod Center. Yeah, I think uh, I think it will be the first sellout that I've seen uh, as far as uh, covering a game. I, I've gone to the the Wichita State games in the past, yeah. and Creighton in the past, but yeah, it'll. It'll be a it'll be a fun environment. All right, good stuff, Nick. Uh, we'll uh, we'll catch back up next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Cole. Thanks for listening to episode forty six of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. Remember, you can direct message questions or comments to my Twitter at Real Bear. Stay up to date of my coverage of UNI hoops, football, and more at thegazette.com. Stay up to date of Nick's coverage of UNI men's basketball at wcfcourier.com. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. 
Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.